So I want to talk about how the enemy uses religion to deceive the masses of people, or how Satan uses religion to deceive. And I think a lot of people, they really don't comprehend this. Uh, number one, they think, well, why would God allow this to even happen? They don't really understand the great rebellion that occurred you know, thousands of years ago when Satan rebelled, took a third of the angels with him, and they don't really understand how the dark side works to deceive the masses or why God would even allow that to to exist. For example, I once had one of our workers say to me, he said, he said he believed that all religion was good. And he was talking about, you know, mainstream churchianity or what, what I would call mainstream uh, churchianity, Christianity. But he believed that it was all good, that it didn't matter and that, that, that every church had the right, you know, proper agenda. And, you know, if that were true, then that means Satan doesn't work in the area of religious deception. And we know, if we know anything about our Bibles, we know that, yeah, Satan does work in the area of to deceive people, but especially when it comes to things that pertain to God and religion. Religious deception is the greatest enemy's work. He is a master deceiver. And in Isaiah 14 and verse 12, it says this about the great fall of Lucifer. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend unto the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the, no of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Now, that, that little statement, I will be like, this is what Lucifer, this is what Satan is saying. He says, I will be like the Most High. That tells us everything we need to know about religious deception. I will be like the Most High, not unlike, not totally opposite or anything like that. In other words, whatever God does, I'm going to do it better. Only I'm going to manipulate it. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to pervert it. I'm going to counterfeit it. But I'm going to do it better. And the end result is you're not going to be able to tell the difference between the two. Now, Satan is the most deeply religious being you will ever meet. In fact, there are two deeply religious spirit beings. Now, I, I'm sort of hesitant to call God deeply religious. I think God is more about relationships. I think Satan is deeply religious. What God desires is a true, intimate, personal relationship with God where you receive his spirit, and God's spirit, once united with your spirit, a new creature in Christ starts to develop. So it's more about relationship with God. But still, there are two deeply religious uh, spirit beings in the world, the dark side and the good side. And you might say that, yeah, Satan wants you to worship God. He just wants you to worship him the wrong way.
Is That Really in the Bible? presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. So I will be like the Most High. Now I was thinking about, okay, mimicking. Okay, this tells me that his role, his desire is to mimic, sort of like an actor, to pretend to be something that he's not, you know. And I was thinking about what actors go through when they play out a role. I was reading about the movie My Left Foot, where Danny Day-Lewis plays the part of Christy Brown. And what he did was, after spending time with disabled patients, in other words, he actually spent time with with because he plays this this part of a of, of a, in a wheelchair, disabled, but he actually spends time with disabled patients. Day Lewis refused to leave his propped wheelchair and insisted on being carried around and spoon fed by the crew. Now this is what he did in order to get the part right. Okay, he wanted to be like. Day Lewis wanted to be like Christy Brown. All right. The end result was an Oscar and two broken ribs. So I, I guess he managed to break two of his ribs also in the recording of this, in the filming of this movie. But it just goes to show you the extreme these actors will go to to mimic someone. Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles in the movie Ray. First of all, Fox lost 30 pounds by fasting for a full week and then doing daily workouts and adhering to a strict diet. But the real commitment came during filming when Fox agreed to wear prosthetic eyelids glued over his eyes to mimic Charles's blindness. It caused the actor to have panic attacks during the early weeks of shooting, and crew members would sometimes leave him on the set forgetting he could not see. In addition, Fox went on to win the Oscar gold for the performance, learn, and he learned to play all the piano roles in the film. So again, this gives you just an example of what they go through in order to be able to mimic, to be like someone else. Now, another little side note that I thought was interesting is that often actors may not themselves have the character of the individual they're imitating, you know. Um, I'm thinking, okay, Charleston Heston playing the part of Moses. You know, now I'm not saying Charleston Heston was a bad person, but I'm just saying that a lot of times when you read about actors, you find out that they live a very dysfunctional life. They've been gone through divorce after divorce after divorce, and they maybe they're addicted to drugs or whatever it may be. But uh, it's just a side note that often actors don't have the character of the person that they're portraying in the film. So, uh, and, and this is true when it comes to this play actor called Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, the dark side, you know, he's lacking the character, but he's playing the part of God. And the bottom line is you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Or maybe I should say, how do you tell the difference? Now, the illusion of how Satan has been presented over the years. First of all, he's been presented as as scary, you know, but he's not. He's beautiful. He's actually beautiful. Second uh, Corinthians eleven and verse fourteen says, "And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light." 
Okay, that's beauty. If Satan ever appears by your bedside, he's going to appear as a translucent, glowing spirit being. He's going to appear as an angel. And you're not going to be scared, I can guarantee you that. You're going to think, well, I've seen a vision from the Lord. I mean, an angel came to visit me. You know, how he's been presented over the years, Lucifer, uh, red body stocking, you know, pitchfork. Uh, Then you go and and you think about demonic movies or demonic activities, demons, how they've been portrayed, horror movies, uh, demonic activity, the exorcists. You know, all of this, all of that is just a diversion to keep to keep you from understanding how he really works. It's just a diversion. I mean, it has nothing to do with the real thing. You know, if you want to look at the real thing, you're going to have to look at religion. You're going to have to look at church. You're going to look at what his specialty is. His specialty is being like God, presenting himself like God. I mean, where does Satan, when Satan goes to work, he gets a briefcase and he goes to church. I mean, let's face reality here. That, that, that's his home place. That's where he works out of, you might say. In my lifetime, I've probably only met one person that I thought was demon-possessed. And actually, this person was a, it's interesting, he was a deeply religious person when I think about it. I mean, he didn't, he was disabled, he uh, didn't work, he was basically non-productive, and, but he sat around reading the Bible all the time. And I, I'm about 95% sure he was demon-possessed or possessed by an evil spirit. But even when we look at demon possession in the Bible, we overlook some important things. Uh, I think about the story, the the seven sons uh, and one of them, Siva, uh, they tried to do this exorcist, cast out this demon. And the demon speaks back to them. This is Acts 19 and verse 15. The book of Acts 19 and verse 15. And it says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Could it be that demons, if you have the Spirit of God, that demons know your name? Well, I think so. I think so. But what I'm what I'm pointing out is is where do we find what do demons talk about? Uh, what are the names they mention? Uh, where are they at? Well, they're at the front line action of the church is, is where you find them. And I think people overlook this. I mean, here demons are clicking off names. Yeah, Paul I know, Jesus I know, I, you know, but but who are you? And they're, they're involved in religious and what's going on in the church is where, where you find them. And that's, that's a, a point I want to make. I want to make that point very clearly as to where you would find this demonic activity. You think about people trying to call up evil spirits and things like that and, and contact with the dead and all that, all the nonsense that people do. You have to realize that, no, Satan is, is, is a being, a play actor that says, I'm going to be like God. And he has demons with the same agenda with the same purpose, to mimic the things of God. Then you have the story in Acts 16 and verse 16, and, and, and it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. 
The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now again, where do you find these demonic spirits? You find them, again, in the frontline action of the church. You find them following the leadership of the church. You find them almost participating. And, and here, what's fascinating about this is that what they say, what they speak, they say, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Why would demons tell you the truth? I mean, think about this. Why would, I mean, this is a true statement here, but why would a demon-possessed demonic spirits tell you the truth about the Bible, about the Word of God, about who people are. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. That's exactly what they were doing. But why would demons tell you the truth? Well, it's called the hook. Uh, don't ever kid yourself into thinking that Satan goes around telling a bunch of lies, or all lies. No, he always mixes truth with the lie. And it's what is called the hook, that if I can get you to believe uh, the truth once, twice, three, four, five times, I tell you the truth, but then I set you up for the big lie, the hook that comes along. It was a, a minister, Ron Dart, who told a story about a, a man at a bus stop, and he said an angel appeared to him while he's waiting for the bus. An angel appeared and said, you need to be tithing. And he said, he said, don't you think that was of God? Because after all, I'm waiting at a bus stop, and all of a sudden an angel appears to me and tells me that I should be tithing. And Ron said, no, I don't think it was of God. He said, why would God send you an angel to tell you to do something that's been in the Bible for thousands of years? I mean, tithing is a biblical principle. Why would they tell you? Now, the question is, why would an evil spirit, a demon, come and tell you, appear, appearing as an angel of light, tell you to do something that's in the Bible? Well, again, it is to set you up for the big lie that's coming. And often in Christianity, mainstream Christianity, the big lie is well, the law has been abolished, it's been fulfilled, it's been nailed to the cross, it's been done away with. That's the big lie. But truth is used in many applications to get you to that point where they set you up for the big lie, you see. So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, it says, And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, again, that's easy to overlook, that if Satan ever appears again by your bedside, he's going to appear to you as an angel of light. How are you going to know the difference? You know, how? well, it has to do with what he's telling you. And the thing about it, often they, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And it can be bits and pieces of truth. Like, you should be tithing. Well, yeah, you should know. You should already know that you should be tithing. In other words, often they're going to tell you things that you already know, 
but or should know to set you up for the big lie that's coming. All right, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, notice this. Satan has ministers. Where are they at? They're in pulpits. And they talk about right things. They talk about truth sometimes. And and yet, it's all about setting you up to believe a lie. They talk about good things. They talk about righteous things. They talk about God and, you know, and all, everything that, that, and, but, and, and I'm telling you, if you don't know your Bible, if you are just ignorant of the word of God and you're just going there to be spoon fed, you're going to be deceived. Okay. That's just the bottom line. You're going to be deceived. If you don't study the word of God on your own and prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Because I can guarantee you, it may, you may, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that all ministers are, are possessed by a devil or anything like that. I'm just saying that all, you got to be able to identify the lie when it comes. You got to be able to identify the lie when it's, when it comes and it will come and You've got to be intelligent enough by studying the Word of God to know when something just doesn't jive. Now, now, hopefully, if the Spirit of God is working with you, you're going to know that when you hear it. You're going to say, that just don't sound right. I mean, I don't know. I I better go back and prove what's being said there. Okay. Now, how the enemy deceives. We're going to look at this, how the enemy deceives. And it's basically uh, three points I want to go through in the temptation of Christ. In a way, I'm surprised that this is revealed in the Bible, but it is revealed and it's revealed for our benefit. Matthew 4 and verse 3, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, these three points I'm going to give you, this is what you want to look out for in visiting churches and participating in religious activities these are the points you want to look out for in order, just, just file them away in your mind in order that you not be deceived by religion and church. Okay, number one, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about supernatural miracles. All right, that's what we're, when stones become bread, that's a miracle. All right, this is one of the tactics. Jesus didn't use it. God didn't use it, but it's it's how Satan thinks, okay? He wanted him to use it. So this is something that is devised from him. You know, okay, supernatural miracles. Now, why people overlook this is beyond me. Because if you read the Bible, if you study the Bible, you know, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land. Now, this was all done through a demonic spirit. They duplicated many of the miracles that Moses and Aaron did. All right, one was bringing up frogs on the land. All of a sudden, all these frogs appeared. They duplicated that. That's a miracle, okay? Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers and and, and now the magicians of Egypt, and they did also in like manner with their enchantments. You'll remember that they cast down Aaron and Moses. They cast down their 
uh, every man his rod, and and it became a serpent. They were able to duplicate that same miracle. They turned water into blood. Now that's okay. That's that the, we're talking about miracles here. And then we're told in Second Thessalonians two and verse nine. Even him whose coming is after the work of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. There's coming a person in the future who has the power of Satan. And what is that power? It's signs and lying wonders. And I'm telling you, the majority of people, you know, if you go to church because you want to see a miracle, you'll see it. I can guarantee you that. But what is the source? What's the source? What's the power behind it? Where is it coming from? And what's the purpose of it? You know, what's the purpose of it? Now, healing, yeah, I can understand that. That That's, uh, I think healing comes from God. But, you know, even that can be fakery. It can be duplicated by trickery. You know, if you don't believe that, just watch the movie Leap of Faith. I mean, it's, it portrays that very well, I believe. Uh, Steve Martin, Leap, Leap of Faith, uh, the trickery behind some of that stuff, but even that can be duplicated. But a, a genuine healing, I believe, comes from God. I don't think Satan has the ability to heal, is what I'm saying. But anyway, now all of these things are religious in nature. These miracles, but you know, but what I'm saying is a miracle just for the sake of miracle. Okay, who needs it? I mean, what's the purpose of it? I think, well, this is what I think. I think there are people who are so desperate for something to validate their faith, they will believe anything in the form of a miracle. And and the real question is, why do you need that something to validate your faith? What's wrong with your faith? In other words, there's something wrong with your faith if you have to have a miracle to validate it. There's something wrong with it. It's lacking, is what I'm saying. Uh, you see miracles every day you get up. First of all, when you get up out of bed, that's a miracle, especially as you age, you know. Um, uh, the sun coming up, that's a miracle. The, the wind blowing through the trees, that's a miracle. You see miracles all day long. You're just not smart enough to identify it. But why do you need to go to a building to see a miracle or what you think is a miracle? Well, I think people are looking for something to validate their faith to validate their belief in what they think is God and they think the miracle came from God. And I'm just saying this is one of the tactics that Satan uses to deceive. Command that these stones be made bread because that's what I would do, Satan speaking. That's what I would do. And Jesus said, man, I'm not going to do it. All right, second one. Then the devil takes him up to the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Now this is, uh, you got to work to figure this one out. You got to really, what you have to do is you have to print this out on one page, what the devil said. Then you have to go back to Psalms 91 and verse 11 and, and print that out, what the actual reference, the quotation is from, and then you have to compare the two. And there is slight variation between the two. Uh, first of all, there's a part omitted. Satan didn't quote, uh, keep thee in all thy ways. That part he didn't quote. 
There's other slight variations, but basically what we're talking about here is taking Scripture out of context. All right, this is something you need to be aware of as you listen to preachers and religion. They're notorious for taking Scriptures out of context. That's what they do. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the tactics of Satan here. That's one of the ways he deceives. So you've heard statements like, just believe. I'm sure you can probably find that in the Bible. Just just believe, okay. Uh, grace plus nothing. Laws, the law has been abolished. The law has been fulfilled. We're not under the law. Faith plus nothing. You know, all of these are bits and pieces of Scripture taken out of context. You know, not of works, lest any man, any man should boast. Period. They never quote the rest of that that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. They never go there. That's scripture out of context. We, you know, not of works lest any man should boast. All right. When you identify this, you got to identify the source that it's coming from. Satan was notorious for taking scripture out of context. And, and it's all kinds of one-liners and things that people say to try to you know, when I tell people about the Sabbath or I keep the Sabbath, a little one-liner is, well, Jesus is my Sabbath. Makes absolutely no sense at all, but that's what they say. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like the man who is unfaithful to his wife and he comes home and he says, honey, Jesus is my faithfulness. And he goes out and cheats on his wife and he comes back, honey, Jesus is my faithfulness. Well, no, if, if Jesus is your faithfulness, you will be faithful to your wife. If Jesus is your Sabbath, you will be, you will be keeping Jesus' Sabbath day. It doesn't take a lot to figure this one out. But, you know, but these one-liners and these scriptures out of context is how much of mainstream churchianity teaches the Bible. It's their method for teaching the Bible. Scriptures out of context. And it comes straight from the pit of hell. Straight from the pit of hell. All these one-liners and scriptures about the law straight from the pit of hell is where it comes from. So you've got to be smart enough to identify that. The third way that Satan deceives is Matthew 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And says unto him, all these things I will give thee if you will fall down and worship me. Now, what we get out of this one is simply a summation of the power of the deception. And that is because Satan is deeply religious, he wants to be worshipped. He desperately wants to be worshipped. Again, Satan is the most deeply religious being you will ever meet. And again, there are two spirit beings in the world, the dark side and the good side. And you might say that Satan wants you to worship God, but he just wants you to worship him the wrong way. And what you're really doing is worshiping a, a being from the dark side. You're not worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped, the way he says to be worshipped, the way the Bible says to worship him. You're not doing that. You're actually worshiping a counterfeit replica, an actor, a play actor, imitating God. So we have three ways, three things you need to identify with all religion, and, and that is, number one, supernatural miracles. 
people are looking for a reason to validate their faith. Um, how Satan deceives, supernatural miracles, taking scriptures out of context, the second one, and just the fact that Satan desperately wants to be, wants you to worship him. Can you understand why Satan would never want someone to receive the Spirit of God, truly receive the Spirit of God? Can you understand why that subject is so misunderstood where we we take the power of God and we turn it into the teaching of the Trinity where it is incomprehensible, no one can understand it, or we we there's no method. You know, there's a way to receive the Spirit of God, and that method is so clearly laid out in the Bible. Repentance, baptism, surrender to God, repenting of your sin. Sin is the breaking of God's law. You know, and you see, once you receive the Spirit of God, there is a disconnect from the power of Satan, deception. It's not a total disconnect, but there is a disconnect once you receive the Spirit of God. So I know in my programs, is that really in the Bible? I've been pushing that subject. You need the Spirit of God. And I've gotten pretty good response from that. People ordering ordering the material, uh, should you be baptized, how to receive the Spirit of God, and what you should have known before baptism, which is two audio CDs where I go through many different points about this is what you should have known before you were baptized. And I can guarantee you most people probably didn't know hardly any of the stuff I cover. But you should have known this before you went down in the waters of baptism. Okay. But anyway, the response is pretty good from that program or, or the multiple programs I've been running on that subject because I just feel like it's important that important of a subject. Because, in a way, once you receive the Spirit of God, there is a loss that the dark side has. It's just a critical subject and a critical thing to have, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, how not to be deceived? I mean, a lot of this sort of gets complicated because you think, okay, man, if this is true... I mean, how can I possibly discern between Satan's religion and God's church, God's true church? How can I know the difference? Well, I want to give you some ways right now you can know the difference. Uh, number one, Isaiah 8 and verse 20. To the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. You know, it's interesting. This verse doesn't say there's a little bit of light. It just says there's no, to the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, this is something that you can do to to filter out and to discern a church you're thinking about attending or whatever. If the and this includes a large a large portion of mainstream churchianity, it really does to the law. Now, I know that a lot of churches will tell you, well, no, we believe in the law of God. We believe in keeping the Ten Commandments. But if you push that subject and say, well, what about the Fourth Commandment? How come you're not keeping the Fourth Commandment? You're going to hear, you know, like a drop, you know, they're going to drop back and punt, and they're going to come back with the, well, you know, that's that's not part, that's not, it's been fulfilled. It's, and you're going to begin to hear a no-law theology taught when you push the issue of the Fourth Commandment. You really are. So this is a great one to carry with you if you if if you don't 
if if your goal is I'm not going to be deceived, Isaiah eight and verse twenty is a great scripture to use. Okay. The second thing about not being deceived is the fourth commandment. Remember remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall not do any work. Why would I say this? Well, the Sabbath is an identifying sign. It is, it identifies, the Sabbath identifies the God that you worship. You worship the creator God that rested, that worked six days and rested on the seventh. You are mimicking what God did. And that's the God that you, the creator God is the God that you worship. And, you know, Ezekiel 20 and verse 19 says, I am the Lord your God, walk in my statues and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths. Now notice this is plural with an S on the end. Hallow my Sabbaths. It's talking about the weekly Sabbaths and the annual Sabbaths, the holy days. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So here is an identifying sign of people who keep God's Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath, and the annual holy days. I don't think people realize what a treasure we have with God's Sabbath. In part, the Sabbath is what keeps you from being deceived. Now, yeah, it does set you apart, and it does make you stand out, and yes, it does make you look strange, you know. You start telling people you're keeping the days of unleavened bread and and you're not hiding Easter eggs and anything like you know that you look strange when you say things like that and and uh, but it's 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 an identifying sign that is connected directly to the Creator God. Why would you not keep the Sabbath day and the holy days? Now, another part of this verse that I think Sabbath keepers often overlook is six days shall you labor and do all your work. That is just as equally important. And I believe that in order not to be deceived, that six days shall you labor is just as important as the day of disconnect, where you disconnect yourself from the busy work-a-day week. You unplug yourself like an overloaded, you know, receptacle with, with, with 10 wires running into one receptacle. You disconnect from that. And it is the Sabbath is a day of connectivity with God. Okay. That's important. But to, to, to really appreciate that you have to work six days a week. Now the doorway, we're talking about how not to be deceived. The doorway to Satan's religion is non-productive living. Let me repeat that. The doorway, at least I believe, to Satan's religion is a non-productive, non-productive living. And yes, there is a danger. Now, now hear me out because you're going to think this is weird when I say this. But if all you are doing is sitting around for 16 hours a day studying the Word of God, maybe you're thinking about retirement. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to retire, and I'm just going to study the Word of God for 16 hours a day. I, My personal conviction is that you open up an avenue, a door, to 
the influence of the demonic world if, if that's all you are doing. Now, why would I say that? I mean, how could I say studying the Word of God for 16 hours a day could somehow open up a door to demonic activity? Well, well remember, there's two religious beings out there in the world. There's a good side and a dark side. And the dark side is working hard in this area to deceive. The reason I would say that is because it's a violation of, of Exodus 20 and verse 9, the fourth commandment. Six days shall you labor. Okay? You know, idle hands is the devil's workshop. Now, we all know this. And just because you're digging into the Word of God for 16 hours a day, you need the, you see, the body, human beings are, are, are consist of the body, mind, and spirit. You have a spirit in man, and hopefully you have the spirit of God that can, can unite with the spirit in man and begin that process of a new creature in Christ. But, okay, you got the mind, you got the body, and, and in order for for everything to work in harmony, in order for everything to be balanced out, you have to incorporate physical activity, hard work. In fact, if you're just sitting at a desk all day long, you know the danger of that. You have to get physical. And I, I just personally believe that the way God created this body, if you're neglecting one, the physical, the physical aspect, of getting out. You know, for me, my inspiration often comes not when I'm studying the Bible, but when I'm taking a walk out in nature or when I'm working on a chimney on a roof and I'm building something and all of a sudden inspiration comes. If you're pursuing inspiration, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if you're pursuing inspiration, I can almost guarantee you that inspiration is not going to come. It's, it's when you're not pursuing it. I forget what Earl Nightingale referred to. He had a certain word, serendipity or something. I forget. He talked about creativity and when it comes and and uh, it, it comes at the most unusual moments, but it's when you're distracted is when it comes. But what I'm saying is, you know, if you're just, well, let me give you an example. You ever met like a maybe a, a hippie on the street and he's, he's begging for money and doesn't have a job and begging for money and <clears throat> wants a few dollar bills and he he does a little witnessing to you he wants to tell you about Jesus you know you know my approach is look first get you a full-time job work 40 hours or 60 hours a week or or, or more than that hold down a full-time job for 6 months and then come back and tell me about Jesus but but don't tell me about Jesus if if you're not working if you're not holding down a job, if you're not being productive, if all you're doing is just living a non-productive life. So <clears throat> I just want to warn you, deception can come almost by too much studying. And, and I, I tell you, the weirdest people I've ever met are people that study the, the Word of God. They, they come up, continuously study the Word of God, they come up with weird ideas. And this guy that I told you about who I thought was demon possessed. You know, that's what he did. He didn't work and he just studied the word of God. And, uh, I sometimes think that gives over to another spirit that you need to be aware of. The body works in a certain way. 
there's the mental aspect of, of yes, yeah, studying the Word of God, but then there's the physical aspect of working hard and wearing your body out physically, not a sweat of your brow. You know, that side is equally important. So I think we overlook that when it comes to the Sabbath day. Six days shall your labor. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. And we need to apply that. And, and I think it's critical if you're to keep your sanity, if you are to avoid deception. Okay, let's uh, come to the conclusion here. I want to ask the question, can we learn from other ministries outside the church of God? Now, I can only tell you my personal experience in this area. For me, yes, I've been able to learn from other ministries outside the church of God. One of the things I came into was that when I first came into the church of God 20, 23 years ago, I forget how long ago, um, that the church didn't have all the answers that I needed. I mean, there were certain subjects that, that I couldn't find a lot of information about, you know, marriage and how to have a happy marriage, addictions, dealing with addictions. And and so there were other ministries out in the world that I that I allowed to minister to me that helped me in many areas. But in far as for me learning from other ministries outside the church of God, I do it with a bit of skepticism. To, by nature, I'm somewhat skeptical. Um, you know, I don't trust people as far as I can spit. Now, I'm uh, just kidding, but, uh, you know, my mother, we're in business. I'm part owner of a business. My mother taught us, said, treat everybody like a gentleman, but tie them up like a crook. That's how you do business. And, of course, if you've ever, ever purchased a new car, <clears throat> they will treat you like a gentleman, but they will tie you up like a crook. I can guarantee you that. But that's just business. That's the business world. That's how you do business with people. So when I allow other people to minister to me outside the church of God, I do it with a, a great bit of skepticism because I know that what I'm listening to is not a true representation of the church that Jesus built. Okay? Okay, so I'm saying, yes, I have allowed churches outside the church of God to minister to me, but I know right up front that they are not a true representation of the church that Jesus built. Now, how do I know that? Well, one, they're not keeping the fourth commandment. They're sinning by not keeping the fourth commandment. And they're not keeping, they're sinning by not keeping the annual holy day. So I, I know that up front. And they're probably sinning by their perverted view, Satan's view of the law of God, a no law theology. So I know they have the no-law theology. I know they've got this. I know they're not doing that, that, that. I identify that right up front with skepticism and understanding that this, this ministry is not a true ministry of the church that Jesus built. And I think if you can do that, you can handle it. Now, again, why would you listen to any church outside the church of God? If God has called you, if he's placed you in his church, and you know that, and you've received the Spirit of God, and you know that, you know, why would you allow others to minister to me? Well, minister to you. Well, there's another reason. In Deuteronomy 13 and verse 1, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and gives thee a sign or a wonder. Now, we're back to signs and wonders, okay? And we're talking about a prophet, preacher, a dreamer of dreams, whatever. 
and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. Now, get this. It's not as though these signs, wonders don't come to pass. Here it's saying, the Word of God is saying, this sign, this wonder comes to pass. They can deliver on the goods. They do a miracle, okay? Wherefore he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. And the sign or the wonder come to pass. Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. Now, the sign or the wonder comes to pass, but you've got to be smart enough to identify the false message. The false message is, let's go after other gods. The false message is, you don't have to keep a Sabbath day. It's been nailed to the cross. You don't have to keep the holy day. That's mosaic. That's Jewish. That's been done away with. We keep Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and April Fool's Day in the real church. You know, you, you've got to be smart enough to know the message they are telling you. They're telling you, okay, the, the law, they have a no-law theology. Been, it's been done away with. It's been fulfilled. It's been nailed to the cross. Okay, you got to be smart enough to identify the satanic message embedded in some truth. Okay, some truth. So it goes on in verse uh, Deuteronomy 13 and verse 3. You shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So it's a proving ground. There is a proving ground where God will test us with half-truths. He may test you with a miracle and see if you fall for it. There are a lot of people who, when they see the miracle, they buy and pay for the minister. In other words, that's the truth. And they believe everything that false prophet is telling them because they see a miracle. So we should not be surprised, and I don't think it's a big deal, that, you know, God is in the process of proving us to see if we will go after other gods. And so, yeah, for me personally, because of my skepticism, because I know where I stand, I have allowed other ministries outside the church of God to minister to me. And I think, yeah, if you're big enough, you can do that. But that's a personal subject, and it's, I mean, it's a personal opinion. you got to know where you stand before you start to do it. Because I have seen people in God's church abandon the truth God had given them because they began to trust another ministry outside the church of God. They liked what they were hearing. They began to trust it. Maybe they saw a miracle. Maybe they saw a healing, and they begin to trust that miracle, and they abandon the faith that God had called them to. I've seen it happen, and it can happen again. So, in other words, they didn't have that skepticism that they should have kept. They did not really identify for themselves that this is a this is not a true representation of the church that Jesus built. And it's so critical for you to identify that once you're in that church, uh, once God calls you into his church, that uh, to know where you stand. So I hope this has helped you in understanding deception, how Satan works. I know for me, 
that little statement, I will be like the Most High, that was one of the most powerful revelations that I've had in a long time when that scripture finally hit me and I understood what, what was being said there, that he is a great actor, play actor, and he mimics everything that God does. So I hope that helps you. If you have any questions, you can write me, email me, and at the uh, address that's coming up at the end of this program. I'm David Freeman, and I'll see you next time. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at Is That Really in the Bible.net. For more information, check us out online at Is That Really in the Bible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program. Worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is, is that really in the Bible.net.